You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. How's everybody doing this morning? I was like three out of, you know, however many of y'all there is in here today, missing a few people. So I, I understand we're not going to have as much of a punch to the call back, right? The call and response. Patrick, if you want to bring this one down a little bit, bro, I'm going to talk loud, bro. That's who I, that's who I am. Um, and so anyway, how are we doing this morning? That was like six, yo, young Alexander coming through, baby. I appreciate that. All right. Yo, so uh, if you don't know me, I think I had a chance to meet everybody, introduce myself. My name is Josh. Have the honor of serving as the lead pastor here. Uh, this stand is Daniel Height, and I'm Josh Height. I'm not even short. I'm on the taller side of average and the, you know, the shorter side of tall. And Daniel is just on the taller side of tall. So uh, I just excuse this obscuring uh, basically the whole everything on me. Uh, but let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, I'm excited to continue our time in worship today uh, by spending time in the Word. Uh, and I use that language intentionally, right? We are continuing our time in worship today by coming to the word uh, and asking God to speak to us. We believe, you heard me say this last week, but I want to reiterate it over and over again. Uh, worship is not singing songs. Singing songs is a part of worship, but that's not all of what worship is. Uh, worship takes place in the fullness of our lives, in every aspect and in every moment. And one of the ways we do that here on Sundays is by coming to God's word, opening it and humbly asking him, Lord, speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Uh, help us to come alive. And today, even right now, right, like, like we're a church plan. And so when we have like this many people out on a Sunday, sometimes it can feel like, okay, like, you know, there's few of us and so we can chill, but, but God still remains here like right now. And so when we come together, even on days where we're missing a few people, it, it can still be this space where we're saying, Lord, we're going to open your word. And the same word that's declared across the world that calls people to come and to know the beauty uh, and the gentleness and the grace of Jesus is the same word we open and invite God to speak to us today. So that's what we're doing. That's why I'm excited. I didn't start my timer, so I know internally I got to take like two minutes off of that here in a little bit. Uh, but hey, so that's why I'm excited. I hope you're as excited to do that with me today. Okay, now... Uh, I'm also excited because they were continuing and finishing our sermon series called Therefore Go, where we've been talking about uh, the rhythm of evangelism. Now, what is the rhythm of evangelism? It is the idea, the routine, the practice of sharing our faith. You guys have heard me talk about this for several weeks and, and different people, Daniel, Sean, uh, where, where as we enter back into more regular rhythms in our day-to-day -day lives, right? Like everybody knows what that feels like now. You're going back to school. You're sending your kids to school. Uh, you know, all that, those, those rhythms that are coming back to normal. God's also inviting us to return to uh, spiritual rhythms. We started out uh, talking about community. Then we moved into the idea of discipleship. Maybe God is calling us. How is God calling us back into that? And now we're talking and really finishing talking about uh, evangelism. Uh, and evangelism is, is, again, the habit of consistently, and, and consistently practicing uh, sharing our faith with others. But I know already as I say that, right, there's some of us that even as we've talked about this for like four or five weeks now, we still hear the word evangelism and are kind of like, oh, that's kind of scary, right? There's a hesitancy that hits our heart when I'm looking at you and thinking about, yo, how can you look at somebody and be like, do you want to come to church with me? Can I pray for you? Men, do you believe in Jesus, right? That last one makes us be like, bro, you're really freaking me out now, right? Like, because we all feel that sense of hesitancy behind the idea of sharing our faith. And hear me, it's not your fault. 
Maybe some of it is your fault, but what, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is that it's not just an individual decision to be scared, right? We're part of a cultural environment that really incentivizes and pushes us to be scared. You heard me give these statistics in the first week that we started this series, and I want to repeat them now uh, and kind of invite us back to consider this as we end this time talking about evangelism, right? According to a 2009 Barna research study, 49%, half of younger Christians believed it was wrong to share personal religious beliefs with someone from a different faith in hopes that they would come to faith in Christ. Half, half of young Christians looking at people that aren't Christian and going, it would be wrong for me to share my faith with you. Half. And 40% believed that it would be judgmental to disagree with someone out loud about religious beliefs or social beliefs. These are huge increases from years in the past. And hear me, friends, we're not immune. We're not immune to those feelings, right? And so the hesitancy you feel is partially, right, that, that, that sense when we're like, I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. Maybe there's some of that going on. But the other thing is there is this cultural influence around us that says, man, that's not cool. Everybody can be right, right? But here's the thing. Um, as we really embrace the idea that everyone can be right, we really relinquish and give up the desire to see people come to faith and be made new in Jesus. Because the two things cannot be one and the same. They can't coexist. And that's the damage that happens when we really succumb to those cultural pressures, right? When we give into them and say, well, well, man, if this is expected, or if people look at me thinking that I'm weird or whatever, then, then, then I'm not going to do that. When, when we give in to those social pressures, what oftentimes happens is we do relinquish. We give up the desire to see people come to be made new and made whole and saved by Jesus because the gospel and the idea that everyone can be right doing whatever they want, they can't coexist in one space. Yet today, I want to end our time in this series really talking about a couple of ideas that fight against these cultural thoughts, right? That fight against these cultural pressures that kind of are, are stepping in and saying, hey, I want to try and influence you to resist and to hesitate and to fall back regarding this idea of sharing your faith. I want to introduce a couple of ideas from our text that I believe Paul offers us and the scriptures offer us in general uh, in order to really fight against those cultural ideas. The first is understanding and really believing the gospel of Jesus. Right. Understanding and believing the message of Jesus, the good news. Right. You, you may be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. But but it's amazing that as soon as I believe I understand and know the gospel, like the back of my hand, oftentimes I realize that my heart has been subtly getting away from it inch after inch, week after week. And all of a sudden, when I'm reminded of the good news of Jesus, I sometimes can be reminded that maybe I, I understood it, but I forgot it for a little bit. And so we're going to talk about understanding first and truly believing the message of Jesus, the good news. And second, we're going to talk about how we interact with those outside of our faith in light of understanding the good news. How do we understand interacting with others in light of the fact that, that this miracle of Jesus has happened? Okay, now, uh, for the sake of time, I think I'm going to move past some of this stuff, but... Uh, the, the reality is, as we begin to put these two things together, right, when we be able to put these two ideas together, when we understand the gospel, and that starts to motivate and to shape, right, how we interact with other people, one of the main things that gets drawn out of that is that there's no neutral parties, 
Okay, there's those who know God and know his love and have been saved by him. And there are those who are desperate and separated from our creator and our loving God. And therefore, whether they know it or whether they don't, they're missing the thing that makes them human. And more than likely in sin, they're searching for something to make them whole and coming away empty every single time. And when we understand the message of Jesus, right, when these two thoughts of the good news of Jesus, the message, the gospel of Jesus, and how we interact with people start to really come together, we start to understand that realities like there's no neutral party, realities like God has come to save people. These realities uh, begin to inform, man, what opportunities are in front of me? How, how am I engaging with people? And, and is it fruitful or is it not fruitful? But it also, in our hearts, begins to build compassion for those around us. Listen to me. It begins to build compassion for those around us a heart of love. We can understand when we understand the gospel, the heart of Jesus. And as we understand the heart of Jesus, we begin to have his heart for those that live next door, work with us, attend school with us, X, Y, and Z. And so today, I want to help us navigate these two ideas by again coming out of the text we read uh, that our sister Cassie read for us right now, um, Colossians 4, 2 through 6. And I want to go ahead and jump in, starting with verses 2 through 4. Uh, and then from there, we'll move forward and, and really focusing on the gospel with these two verses. Uh, Colossians 4, 2 through 4 says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, stay alert in it with thanksgiving, and the same, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. All right, so how does this idea, this text, help us understand the message of Jesus, a.k.a. the gospel? Uh, hey, Patty, can you bring it down just a little bit more? I'm getting like this weird ring in the back of my head that it's kind of distracting me a little bit. Uh, well, uh, for those that call refuge home, you could probably guess that I'm about to say something to the extent of, well, to know what the text is really telling us, we have to know the context or the backstory or the history of the text. I'm sure most of y'all could probably guess that. And, and it really does take understanding that backstory to really know how this is showing us uh, the beauty of the gospel. We have to start in that backstory with the Colossian church. Okay, the Colossian church that Paul is talking to here in the book of Colossians. Now, the Colossian church was located in a city called Colossae. That was in modern-day Turkey. Uh, modern-day Turkey is, I don't know where it's at, so you're going to have to figure out that geography on your own. All right, and, and though Colossae had been a major trade city years back, a, a trade route that was established by the Roman government in the 3rd century, so about 300 years prior uh, to the birth of Christ, really led to the city of Colossae kind of going downhill. Right. So, so no one was really trading in the city. No one was entering into the city. It had become a city that by the first century in the Roman world had lost a lot of its influence. And no one was really big on Colossae. It wasn't like people were like, yo, you trying to hit Colossae this weekend? That wasn't, the, that wasn't the vibe around Colossae at the point in time that we're at here. 400 years later, Colossae uh, was, was a pretty insignificant city, if we're going to say it like that. I ain't trying to disrespect Colossae, but it, but it was. It was a pretty insignificant town by this point. Now, why is this important? Thank you for asking. Uh, because the city probably was outside of any major trade routes or any way to get there or out of there. Consequently, it probably was not a place that Paul was like, yo, I have to get to Colossae. Maybe because it was just off the beaten path. As a result, the Colossian church wasn't a church that Paul had started. It wasn't a church that he had started. 
In fact, in one of the texts in chapter 2, he says, like, yo, even though I haven't even got a chance to meet you, to, to really meet you yet. So he's conceding, even talking to them, I know you don't know me. But a disciple of Paul, who, who more than likely came to know Jesus in Ephesus, a major city uh, to the west of Colossae, named Epaphras, had actually been from Colossae. He was born and raised there. And so when Paul really brought him into the fold in Ephesus, he discipled him, he built him up. And after understanding that he was mature enough, Paul sent out Epaphras back east to Colossae to start a whole new church in his hometown, the Colossian church. And at the moment of its writing, the Colossian church appears to be under some type of spiritual attack or some type of doctrinal attack. They're putting in like some ideas that are like just counter to the gospel message. And so Paul writes this letter saying, yo, here's the right gospel. I'm trying to fight against this. I love you and I care for you, right? And hear me, you may be like, man, that's really interesting, but what does that really have to do with this? Well, well here's the thing. First, it helps us see uh, that from Paul's perspective, the gospel is for everyone. From Paul's perspective, the gospel is for everyone. Whether you live in a, in a growing metropolis like Ephesus or whether you live in a village in the middle of two cities or in between like those living in Colossae, whether you're Greek, whether you're Hebrew, whether you're Roman, whether you're European, whether you're from this culture or from that culture, that political party or this political party, the gospel, the message of Jesus is for everyone. It's for all. And hear me, friend, this is important because when you look at me and I look at you in the world we're living in today, it's an extraordinarily divided place. Right. We can at times see people who live in different contexts, people that live in the country versus people that live in the city that have different lifestyles than us, that have different political beliefs than us and forget when we look at them that Jesus died for them, that the gospel is for them. Regardless of their political space, regardless of their lifestyle or their, the space that they live in, right? When we look at them, we can oftentimes forget that is a person that Jesus died for. The gospel, from Paul's perspective, he knew, yo, this is for everyone. We, on the other hand, in our modern day culture, can, can take someone's stance on a mask or, or a vaccine or the current president or the last president or their support for our causes or worse, their lack of support for our causes on a pedestal, making that the most important thing that we notice when we look at somebody about their lives, failing to understand that that wasn't the most important thing Jesus sees in them when he looks at them. We're wrapped up in this space where the, the affairs and the, 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 the issues of our world become the primary issues of our heart. And when we look at someone and elevate those things and say, well, this is the main thing that causes unity or divide between you or between me. We oftentimes fail to see the thing that Jesus desires to bring us together is none of those things but himself. And this is what Paul sees when he sees Colossae. He don't know them. He just sent his main man, Epaphras, to go start their church. And, and what's happening in their community is a struggle for correct belief that's creating more than likely a struggle in their spiritual walk. And he's willing to say, I don't know you. You don't come from the same type of place that I do. But I'm sitting here writing this letter because I love you. The gospel is for everyone. When he looks at us, I'm not saying that, that God is not grieved. Right. He, he sees 
and maybe grieve our beliefs and our mistake. But hear me, before any of that, he, he sees us with compassion and understanding about uh, our battle with sin and brokenness. And then for those who believe in Jesus and are following him, he sees us in, the per- in light of the perfect life of Jesus. Right? So even then, he doesn't see primarily the issues of the world, nor does he even see necessarily our struggle with brokenness, though he sees that. When you follow Jesus and when you're dealing with another believer, the primary thing God sees, and therefore the primary thing we're called to see, is that person's relationship with Jesus. The perfection of Jesus. Right? The forgiveness of Jesus. What God has done in that person's life that we are now called to live out and to to say, hey, brother, sister, I'm here to help you walk that out and really to help you believe that for yourself. And this idea makes perfect sense to come out of a man like Paul. It was in Acts 9 uh, that God calls Paul to preach to a group uh, that Hebrews didn't even believe were meant to receive salvation. Non-Jews, a.k.a. Gentiles, right? Y'all know, y'all know this idea. Some of y'all probably read this verse, Acts 9, 15. But the Lord said to him, go for this man, talking about Paul, uh, is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, a.k.a. non-Jewish, non-Hebrew people, kings and Israelites. And this idea, this idea of taking the gospel to everyone, it shows itself more subtly, I think, in our text today. Look at verses 3 and 4 again with me. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the word, to us for the word. To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. That, that, that phrase, mystery of Christ is the message of Jesus. It's the gospel, right? That's what he's talking about. But, but there's a couple of hidden gems in this wording uh, that really help us understand what we're talking about today. The, the word speak there that would help me speak the mysteries of Christ is most literally translated the idea of like unveiling or revealing something. It's not just saying something. It's really the idea of, of almost like kind of presenting it, right? Kind of Kind of the I take this deal, swipe it off, and then you see the, the tons of junk we have underneath there because we set up as a mobile church, right? Like this idea. And, and why is that important? Because Paul understood the message of Jesus isn't just about him, nor is it just about a specific group. But again, it's about the world. And therefore, because Jesus' story has been going on as long as the world has, he understands that every moment of brokenness and pain, every moment of sin from Adam and Eve, no matter how you see that story, all the way to the brokenness that the Colossians are experiencing is what Jesus is concerned with. You hear what I'm saying? And so Paul is unveiling the story of the world and the story and message of Jesus and showing these two things go hand in hand. The, the story of the world, the brokenness, the hurt, the pain that you have experienced in the world is exactly what this story is aiming at fixing. You may not know it. You may have wished and longed for there to be some type of solution to the mess that it feels like you're in. And what you don't realize, what Paul is saying he needs to unveil and reveal to the person that's listening is that this solution and this rescue mission has finally come. And it's come in the person and the work of Jesus. The moment the world was plunged into sin is the moment that God responded with the plan to send Jesus to redeem and restore the world. If you think about it like that. 
To send Jesus is to take on the sin of the world in a way that, that the world would be forgiven and that the world would be made new. Right? That, that's why you and me were saved. That's why you and I were saved. If you are in here today and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you were saved because God is saving and redeeming the world. Because God is making all things in the world new. He's making the world new, including you and including me. So you're saying that, that he saves us because he's saving the world. Yes. But, but he loves us individually too. Yes. So, so does he love the world or does he love me individually? Yes. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly the point. He loves the world collectively. And he sent his son to redeem and to save the world. And you are a part of that world that he's seeking to save. And because of this, hear me, friend, every single person we see, no matter their story, no matter what story they're in right now, whether that story is racial injustice, whether that story is the struggles of poverty, maybe it's the heartbreak of something like cancer or like sickness, whether it's the story of drug addiction or alcoholism, the story of depression and anxiety, the greatest story that they're in, whether they know it or whether they don't, is the story of God making everything right and making everything new for his beloved creation through the work and the person of Jesus. That's the story they're in. That's their story. But, but it's right now it's covered under the brokenness and the heartache and the realities that are in front of them in the story of the world. But Paul's helping us see we're unveiling a new story to the people that are living in the midst of the brokenness that they're in right now. Because the gospel is for the whole world. Because Jesus is redeeming, restoring, and making new the whole world. And it's this reality that gives way to the second, the second way this text helps us understand the gospel, right? Because the gospel is for the whole world and every person, Jesus' message is always looking for an opportunity to spread. It's always looking for an opportunity to advance. Look at verse three. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul wants the church that he's talking to, Colossians, the, the, the Colossian church, to pray for an open door. For what? For the mystery of Jesus, an open door that the gospel can get through. He's saying, I want there to be an open door so that I can have the opportunity to share uh, the message of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Nearly every biblical scholar believes that Paul wrote the book of Colossians while he was in jail. While he was in jail. That's why he says, so I can speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. What? If there's any door that my man is, is hoping to get, get sprung open, I am assuming that it would be the jail door. I am assuming that if I was sitting in jail, the primary thing I'd be thinking about was like, man, can y'all pray for me to get these charges dropped? I'm not even in here fairly. This is completely unfair. And if I can get those doors open, then at that point, I can go back out and keep doing the work that I was supposed to be doing. And so they got me in here trying to stop me, but we're going to open those doors, pray those doors down, and then we're going to get out there and we're going to keep doing the work. But that's not the prayer. You see, because Paul understood this message was for everyone. He knew that meant the guards standing at the gate as well. And he knew that meant this message was for the judges that were going to unfairly potentially sit over his trial. 
And he knew it was for the citizens who would sit there and look and watch that trial and say, man, I hope they locked that guy away. He understood this uh, a message of Jesus. The hope that I have in this gospel is for everyone, including those people. So pray that a door opens while I'm just sitting in this jail cell because they need it too. Because Paul understood that this gospel is for everyone. Even the jail cell he was sitting in was an opportunity. As long as there was a breathing human being somewhere in his vicinity, he understood the treasure that is lost and the treasure that is placed, I should say, in this broken vessel of clay is for you. And so I'm glad I'm here. Because whether you know it or not, you need it. And the Lord has sent me to share it with you, even in this jail cell. I can ask you just a question. I ain't trying to shame you with this. I'm trying to just help us grasp this in our modern day understanding. Is that how you see the people in the grocery store? Is that how you see the people in your neighborhood? The people that you just live next to, right? That are, them people, if you live in an apartment complex, that could be super hard because like people's kids be like banging on stuff. Maybe playing music mad loud, and maybe somebody's partying, and you're like, man, that dude in three and 31B is just like driving me crazy, right? Is that how you see that person? Is that how you, you see the person at the coffee shop that you just work, you're just working next to? And you ain't seen them before, and the thing is, after you get out this coffee shop, you're probably never gonna see that person again anyway. But is that how you see that person, right? Any living human being. I'm kind of glad she ain't here because I'm fixing to, I'm fixing to tell her story. Um, some of y'all might have heard Virtuous's story from like last Sunday, right? Y'all remember that? Some of y'all, Virtuous is a young woman that goes here. She's not here this morning, which I was kind of nervous that she was going to be here because I was going to be like, I'm going to name drop you. So I'm a little bit glad she didn't hear. But she was just at a coffee shop, sitting down working on, on whatever she was. I don't even remember what she was working on. And she just said, man, behind me, there was these people talking. And as I overheard their conversation, I just turned around and we printed out those little like invitation cards. A lot of y'all probably have one of those, a few of those, hopefully. Or maybe none of them because you've been giving them bad boys out. Um, And she pulled it out and just said, hey, you should come to church. Right. These are great examples, amazing examples of just understanding that, yo, the people around you and the gospel's for them. The gospel's for them. Jesus entered into the brokenness of the world for that exact person, for those exact people. When we understand this message is for everyone, it helps us see that maybe there's opportunities in front of us that we need to see. It even helps us see that maybe uh, that there's no bad opportunity. Maybe there's not a bad opportunity in front of us. Maybe we're, we're looking too hard for the exact right opportunity because if the whole world needs this good news, then, then that means that, that whether they receive it with gladness or whether they reject it in anger, their response has nothing to do with their need for it. I want you to hear me say that again. Maybe there's no bad opportunities because if the world needs this news, whether someone accepts it with gladness or rejects it in anger, it has nothing to do with their need for it. And that's what we speak to when we take the opportunities in front of us, when we pray for opportunities and say, Lord, give me a space, provide me an opportunity to just share this message, to speak and unveil, right, the mystery of how you have seen the pain and struggle of my life, their life, and of this world, and you've entered into it to make things new and to make things right. Maybe they don't receive that, but that's still our job to declare. So we understand that one, The gospel is for everyone, right? 
regardless of culture, class, ethnicity, political views, when we see someone, we see a person that Christ died for, loves and wants to know intimately, and that wants to see, that he wants to see them know him as well. And two, we understand that the gospel wants to spread, wants to spread because it's for the whole world, right? It's for the whole world. Jesus wants to spread it. And so we pray and we look out for opportunities to share our faith with someone else. But hear me, what do we do when the opportunities actually come? All right, that's a scarier, this is a scarier position to be in, right? It's kind of like that whole, uh, you know, I pray for patience type of thing. You see, then you're like, man, I'm praying for patience. Look, someone's like shaking their head like, no, I don't pray for that anymore, right? Like, because like, you pray for patience, and then the Lord is like, I'm going to make you be very patient right now. And you're like, Lord, I don't want this patience. You know, it's kind of that same idea. We pray for opportunities to share our faith, and all of a sudden they come, and we're like, I don't know what to say, bro. Like, I was just sitting there. I said like 85 different things, and I don't know what I said, to be honest. I might have mentioned Buddha in that joint. I really couldn't tell you at this point, right? Like, and, and, and that's where it begins to understandably get a little bit, a little bit scary for us, but, but that's also where we begin to understand how the gospel shapes the way we interact with other people. Starting in verse 5, Paul distinctly changes his focus from himself to the readers to the Colossian church, um, and he offers two major points of preparation uh, for witnessing, to share, for sharing the faith about Jesus. Um, in other words, he lets them know, you don't know when you're going to get an opportunity to share your faith, uh, but this is how we should be living uh, in light of the hopes that we'll get an opportunity at all. So this is how we should be conducting ourselves in hopes that we'll get that opportunity somehow. Check out verses 5 and 6. They say, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, see, gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. So the first thing he shares is act wisely toward non-believers, so that you can make the most of the opportunities that you have. Act wisely. Okay, in other words, the bridge your witness of Jesus is going to travel over is only as strong as that person's witness of you. Does that make sense? The bridge that the, the, your witness of Jesus is going to travel over to get to that person is only as strong as that person's witness of you. If, and hear me, don't get me wrong. Like sometimes Jesus just supermans that joint over there. And it's like, dude, he used the most broken vessel, but I was like, the good news just pierced me still. That, he does that because he does whatever he wants to. But most of the time, people have a hard time receiving good news from someone they can't see good news in. It's difficult. It's hard. You've probably been there. You know, some of us get there with different people in our family, with different friends, your spouses at times when seasons are rough. You feel like, man, I can't see the good news in that person. They're, they're struggling. They're angry. They're this, they're that. And so when, when they try to speak good news into you, sometimes you're like, man, what does that person even know? And so our own hearts have to get checked based on this reality uh, as well. But, but, but when we're thinking about other people, Paul wants to be uh, aware of the reality uh, that we need to live accordingly. Right, right, live with the understanding that, yo, I hope what I've done doesn't make impossible, doesn't hurt the chances and opportunities that I have with this person. Um, to use myself as an example, when I'm struggling, like when I'm tempted to disobey God in one way or the other, uh, I ain't gonna lie to you, one of my biggest weapons is you. One of my biggest weapons is you. Don't get me wrong. I also love Jesus. And I'm also like, Lord, I don't want to like violate, you know, your grace. I don't want to spit on your forgiveness. But one of the other just greatest weapons that I have is you. I begin to think of us as a community and you as a community and the, the spiritual responsibilities that I've uh, been given uh, for you. 
and the work we're doing to see our city and this community shaped and transformed by the love of Jesus. I see it on these signs. And really, sometimes it just stops me in my tracks. And I'm like, I don't want to mess that up. I don't want to mess that up. We're doing something that I believe is special in an area that desperately needs it. And when I think about that in the midst of my temptation, sometimes I just stop and go, man, it ain't worth it. That just ain't worth it. I don't want to mess up the thing that you're doing. Alternatively, when I fail, because hear me, that don't always stop me. <laughs> so when I end up failing, and maybe I don't think about that, maybe I do, and just my, my sinfulness, this is signs like, nah, bro. Uh, and, and I end up failing. Often, my thoughts of you motivate me to repent and to ask for forgiveness. Right? Knowing that my failures and shortcomings can hamstring the work that we're doing together. This is the type of wisdom that Paul is asking for us to believe. Right? This idea, this type of wisdom that says, Lord, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do anything to hamstring the work that we're doing together as a church community, but even to look at him and say, the Lord that we're doing, the work that we're doing together, Lord, I don't want to hamstring it in any way. And the second is like the first, right? The, the first idea is uh, to act wisely, right? Don't give anybody an excuse to be like, yeah, that dude's tripping out. I don't know how he'd be talking about Jesus. The second is like the first, let your speech be gracious, gracious, and that's been killing me today, gracious and seasoned with salt. This tells us two things, right? The first uh, is to watch the character of our speech, especially toward non-believers. The character of our speech should be, should be marked by grace and compassion. Uh, let me say it like this. The idea of holding a picket somewhere and telling people that maybe live a different way, that God hates them and they're going to hell, is the exact opposite of what Paul is talking about here. Right? He desires for the Christian community to be marked by love, because that's what Jesus desires his community to be marked by. He literally talks about in John, like, you'll know, they'll know you're my disciples by how you love one another. So, so let your, your, your speech be marked by grace and compassion. But um, he also has this idea of speech being seasoned with salt. And that's exactly what it sounds like. It's not like some mystery phrase. Uh, he's saying, man, practice making your stuff spicy. Practice making it sound good. Practice connecting your story to someone else's story and try your hardest to make it meaningful. Try your hardest to understand the heart of what's happening so that when you share it, you can maybe connect to another person's heart while you're sharing it. This isn't crazy. If you've ever worked anywhere at any point in time in your life, right, you know that that serving others takes a measure of practice. You want to communicate well with them, then you got to practice how you're going to actually talk to them. And likewise, Paul wants us to season our witness of him with salt to make it enjoyable, to make it connecting. And so practice what it's going to look like. Practice what it's going to sound like. What are the major points in your life where things shifted? What are some of the major happenings of your life that caused heartbreak and caused struggle? And how is Jesus actually connecting to those parts and bringing healing in your life that nothing else has been able to? Practice that. Help it become understandable to someone. There's going to be moments, and hear me, there's going to be moments where that gets mad awkward, where you're like, I think I overshared a little bit. And it's going to be like, yeah, you overshared a little bit right there. But that's okay. Right? Keep practicing. It's going to be all right. As we practice, we begin to understand how Jesus saved us. 
and we're equipped with the answer necessary to talk about faith with someone. Because hear me, friend, you don't have to know the inner workings of the universe to share the good news of Jesus. You just have to know the inner workings of how he changed your heart and loved you to himself. That's the story you have to know. There's no arguing with that story. I don't know how I argue someone down that's telling me they have proof of this, this, and this, but I don't know how someone argues me down when I tell them, dude, I was dead and now I'm alive. I was caught up in addiction and now I'm free. I was angry and bitter and now I've received joy that I can't explain. So why don't you try to explain it to me and then let me try to explain it to you? I kind of season that with salt a little bit right there. You see what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying, right? You, you try to make it connecting. So today's takeaway, right? Having said all that, today's takeaway, understand the gospel, uh, that it, it's, it's, it's for everybody and, and practice sharing our faith, right? Those are the two main ideas. Understand the gospel and how it's for everybody, then, then practice sharing our faith. Yes and no. As we finish uh, up this time today and as we finish up the series as a whole, I hope we gain more from it than, than just those ideas. Uh, because the idea of sharing our faith isn't just like an instruction manual. I, I think there's more to it and things that are more important to it than that. It, it, it kind of reminds me of a movie, um, like most things remind me of movies, uh, and if you know me, you know that every time someone asks like, a question like, yo, what are your favorite movies? I got some standards that are just always the Lion King, one right away, right? Coco, number two, the Shawshank Redemption makes its way into the third to fifth slot depending on the day. But, but one of those movies is also The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, the new one, all right, the new one with, with Ben Stiller. And if you don't know that movie, it's completely fine, like not a lot of people do, but those that do love it. And it's about this guy that is kind of living this mundane life, right? He goes to work and then he comes home and he goes to work and he comes home and he has some friendships and he talks to some people at work, but then he goes home. And, and while he's at work and even while he's at home or while he's on the bus, he starts to have these daydreams about this adventurous life that he wishes he could have. And they oftentimes circle uh, around becoming very heroic or maybe uh, saving this woman that he has a crush on in the office. And, and he's constantly thinking of these ways that his life could be different and how his life could be more meaningful, how his life could be powerful. But it doesn't really happen because he's going to the office and, and back home. Until one day, he hears that his job has been acquired by another company. And on that same day, he loses a very valuable a photo film that he cannot replace. And he gets word that if he doesn't find that photo film, he's going to get fired, in addition to maybe the other people in his department. But the thing is, the guy that actually sent the photo film is a worldwide journalist, a worldwide photographer. This dude don't take no breaks, and this dude don't stay nowhere for more than like two, three, four weeks. So he goes on this adventure of trying to find the photographer. And he goes to different countries. And he does some of the things that he daydreamed about. And when he arrives back to New York, to the place where he works, he realizes that he still lost his job. But in the process, he's actually become who he desired to be in the first place. He's found out things about himself that he didn't know. Things that he thought were just dreams 
realities that he thought were far off and would never come true happen as he actually goes out and lives the things that he feels called to but somehow can't find the means to do while going to work and coming back home. Friends, this invitation to evangelism, friends, it's a lot of the same thing. We oftentimes have dreams of what the Lord is going or what we hope he does in our life. And we get saved and we read our Bible and we pray and we come to church and we go home and we go to small group. We go home and we come to church. And we go home and we go to work. And we come home. And we go to a friend's house. And we come home. We might even do a Bible study and then come home. All the while, the thing that we're trying to connect to is this grand story of redemption where God has said, I am making things new and I want you to be a part of it. Not just in how you invite others, but to experience that newness yourself. And when we step out of that routine and enter into that space where we're saying, Lord, I'm a part of the story. He begins to unveil how his power and his grace and his love is sufficient to take those in the hardest and toughest situations and make them new. And the reality of what he's doing in their lives oftentimes becomes the means by which that transformation continues and is seen in our lives. Friends. This is that story for us. This is the story where we learn things about ourselves that we didn't know. This is that story where, where the things we hope we can become and the people we hope we can be, be made, become made manifest through the power and the work of Jesus as we just take part in the story. That's what this whole series has been about, and that's what today is about. And so, friends, as we close today, and I pray for you, and I pray for us, I pray that that story would become the one we constantly begin to tap into, that when we are sitting there and we're kind of nervous at that coffee shop, because I'm like, yeah, I'm about to invite this guy to church. I don't think I've ever done this before in my life, that we would begin to say, Lord, help me step out here. Lord, help me, because I want to be a part of the story. I know that I am because you've saved me and you've made me new. But, Father, I want to keep being a part of it. And I want to learn who you've called me to be as I continue to walk out, living this story out with you and with others. Help me. I hope that's the thing that settles into us post this time. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together. Uh, thank you, Father, for the, the work and um, the life of Jesus. I am thankful today, Father, that the people that sit in this room, the vast majority of us, uh, know what it means to know you, to trust you. Um, knows what it means to be on the receiving end of the grace that, that heals us and, and, and transforms us and, and makes us new eternally, but, but also invites us again and again to be made new moment by moment and day by day. And so, Father, my prayer today is not that we would lose sight of how we're a part of the story already. We are a part of the story because you have saved us and made us new. But, Father, I pray that you would ignite each individual's hearts in this place to, to come beside you and to say, Father, Help me become more a part of the story that you're writing. I want to become more a part of it. And in it, teach me about who you've made me to be and who you've made humanity to be and how you're actually making things new and what you're doing. Father, let me learn as I go on this journey and live out this story with you. And we are expectant and have faith that you'll do so. I love you. I thank you. And I pray uh, for us that you would just hold us in your hand and continue to endow grace with us to us uh, as we consider uh, 
the work of Jesus on the cross. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.